If you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles back up to Romans 8, um, we won't read that passage uh, in its entirety. Really, I'm just going to reference through several things. Um, Appreciate Josh reading that for us. Um, Not knowing the topic, you may not have known. There's a lot of stuff packed in to the first 17 verses of Romans 8. Um, But what we're going to spend some time looking at uh, today is the Holy Spirit. That's super, super broad. And the reason I say that is because I don't want to be held to anything else. (laughs) At the end of this, you'll be able to say, yeah, Richard talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, And I saw a picture on Facebook the other day. Uh, That's where you see everything, right? Um, It it was kind of, it was was two pictures, top and bottom. The, The top one was this single railroad track going off through the woods straight as an arrow, and the one underneath it was basically like a switching yard. I mean, tracks going all over the place, like, you know, a plate of spaghetti. And on top it said, the way boys tell stories, and on the bottom it said, the way girls tell stories. Uh, Well, I'm, and it was posted by a girl, female friend of mine, so I'm not knocking anybody here. I'm definitely going to be on the top of that picture today. Uh, There's all kinds of directions you can go with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to note some of those as we go along where I'm not pursuing. So you may come to the end of this and be uh, frustrated. You know, I didn't talk a lot about this. Well, we could spend, you know, six to eight hours probably uh, just not even talking about controversy, just talking about the Holy Spirit from Scripture. Um, Obviously, we're not going to do that. So I'm definitely going to be on that straight track uh, today. My hope is... That if there's something you hear that you're like, hey, I'm frustrated you didn't go there, you know, jot it down and open your Bible later this week and say, hey, this one verse talked about this. I'm going to do cross references. I'm going to get online. I'm going to search whatever. Um, because I think this is a topic we need to prepare ourselves and arm ourselves, not for, you know, defense or attacking people, but arm ourselves for questions. There's a lot of questions in the church, outside the church, about the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to answer all of those today. So you are going to have some homework uh, to do after this. That's the goal. Um, but if, if you'll look back in Romans chapter 8, the first 17 verses, I'm just going to, to skim through this, right? Um, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life has set you free. From sin and death, from the law of sin and death. Verse 4 The requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, Verse 5 Those who are according, well, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6 For the mind that is set on flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, etc. Verse 14. All who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. My point in going through that is to show that there's a closeness described between the Spirit and the people of God. 
Either we're in the Spirit, or the Spirit is in us, or we're being led by the Spirit, or we're following the Spirit, right? There's the passive and the active side of all of, all of this, right? That's, I mean, Paul's not really in Romans 8 making an argument about this is how things should be. Like, you need to make sure that this is how you are. He's just saying this is it. This is, this is the foundation. This is, these are the facts. And then he builds from that, and he says, okay, because this is the way it is, there are some things that need to happen, right? Um, I don't think about that a lot. Like, I'm not on a daily basis thinking like, you know what? I'm in the Spirit, and I'm, I'm being led by the Spirit. And that's what defines me. That's what makes me a child of God. Um, because we just don't think about I, I won't bind this on you. I just don't think about the Spirit very much. And when I do, it's in the classical sense of, you know, how do I explain to my family the role of the Holy Spirit? You know, because there's so many misconceptions floating around, right, that I've got to figure out how do I fight these things? How do I prepare myself for these things? Rather than really thinking about me and the Holy Spirit. So this lesson, toward the end of it, uh, I would say the last third of it, the goal is to think about you and the Holy Spirit. Right? And I mean like you personally, not as a group, but you. However, we are going to go through some facts about the Holy Spirit, just to, just to lay these down so that we're all on the same page. Um, before we get into the facts, though, I, I do want to say, in, in my mind, there are two reasons for confusion uh, about understanding the Holy Spirit. Um, first, when we read about the Holy Spirit, there's no body or even voice that we can point to, right? Even if we had a burning bush, we could say, okay, there was, right, the Holy Spirit. But he says, I am Jehovah. So we ascribe that to the Father, right? And being humans, we, we always have to separate, right? And when Jesus is constantly saying, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, right? And the three are one, right? There's one God. Um, so it, there's confusion because of that. We can't point to we can point to Jesus and say that's the word. Right? That's easy because he took on flesh. But with the Spirit, it's harder. Um, and second, the second thing I think that's confusing for us and for people outside the church, he's credited as the one who imparted miraculous, amazing gifts that made the church stand out, that made the church unique on earth, right? In the first century. And so with those two things being the only things, someone we can't see, we have no voice, all we see are these miraculous gifts ascribed to people. It's, it's hard to really think about the Holy Spirit in terms of what he's doing, who he is. Right? So you put those things together and you get a lot of confusion. Um, as I said, I'm not going to address every question today. Um, not because I don't have time, because I don't have knowledge to address every question today. I mean, that's the primary reason. And I'm not going to attempt it because we don't have time. <laughs> okay? Uh, but I do know that I can't address every question um, because I don't know it. So pick a question today that you have that I, I, you know, I brush up against. And go study that question and let people know, hey, I, you know, I was looking through this and I, I discovered this. What do you think about it, right? And we can build knowledge in the church and among our families uh, that way. So get out your Bibles.
We're going to be bouncing all over the place. Um, I am going to give you some time to turn. I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to blow through this or, or brush over things, but we are going to look at a lot of different passages. So you, if, you, if you want to flip over to John 16, that's the first passage we'll look at. And as I said, I'm going through a list of facts. Okay, The first fact is that he is a he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Um, I think there was a time in my life where I thought of the Holy Spirit as it, but it's so long ago I don't remember. I, this, is, this is one that I hear people are, are on one side of the fence or the other. They either really struggle with the Holy Spirit being a he, or they don't. All right, so I'm just going to lay that out there. He, he is a he. If you look in John 16, verses 13 through 15, this is Jesus speaking about the Spirit. Right? who he has intimate knowledge of. Okay? But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Not only is he a he... There's a lot of activity going on, right? He's going to come to them, right? Which means he's not there yet. He's going to speak to them. He's going to give them information, but not even his own initiative. He's going to only speak to things he hears, right? So it's kind of like, hey, you know, what do you want me to tell them now? Is now the time to do this? Is now the time to tell them that, right? He's not going to speak on his own initiative. He will, he will glorify Jesus. Right? So even in his interaction with mankind, he's going to be glorifying not even himself. Right? Like Jesus, when he was on the earth, he didn't glorify himself. He constantly pointed to the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to do the same thing with Jesus. Right? He's going to glorify me, Jesus says. Um, he'll disclose things to them. Um, so there's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit was going to do, right? But the point from this verse is, one, he is a he, right? He's a person. And I don't mean that in the sense of he's inhabiting a human body. I mean, he's, he's carrying out goals for the Godhead separately from the Word and the Father, but in concert with the Word and the Father, right? Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. And I don't promise we're going to flip around to verses in any kind of order. So you'd be going back and forth. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we see that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that... that you know, we could have about what that constitutes. And I'm not going to get into the details of that. But we, having been sealed with the Holy Spirit, right, as Christians, we can cause him grief. Um, which means he feels. We know what grief is and we don't like it. Well, the reason he's inspiring Paul to write this is he doesn't want to be grieved by us. Right? So he's a he, he can be grieved. 
He is God. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, I think most of us in here are familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, In verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 5, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Right? Verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, you've lied to God. Right? Peter equating the two. He says, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to the Godhead. You lie to deity. Um, he doesn't separate the two. So, however we think of the Father having omniscience and omnipotence and the Son having the same existing before the foundation of the world, He was in the beginning with the Father. We think of the Holy Spirit the same way. He's, he's God. He's different than us. He's not created. Right? Okay, Luke chapter 1. He took part in the conception and the works of Jesus. He played a role in both of those. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. Mary said to the angel, after she's been told this, right? Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is the closest thing we can think of, right, as the Father of Jesus, right? And in, in Jesus' entire lifetime, he referred to the Father as his Father, right? Well, okay. Again, you can't really separate the Godhead. But here, the angel explains kind of the mechanics. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and that's how you're going to conceive a child. And then when Jesus is born, who does he call his father? Jehovah, Yahweh, right? The, the, the covenant name of God, the Father. Right? That was his father. Uh, Also in Matthew chapter 12, as I mentioned, he didn't just play a role in the conception of Jesus. He played a role in the works of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus doesn't even claim his own power or himself as the source of casting out demons. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus is, is making this argument against the Jews who are accusing him of basically using Satan's power. You're doing this because you're from Satan. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He doesn't doesn't say, but if I cast out demons because I am God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's not what he says. I do it by the Spirit of God. So again, Jesus consistently pointing to the Father is also in a sense, glorifying the Spirit here. He's saying, this is really how I do it. It's through the Spirit of God that I do these things. Okay, John chapter 7, uh, I'm sorry, 16. I said we would bounce back and forth, right? John 16, where we, we started out. Another fact, after Jesus' ascension, he sent the Spirit. 
who would disclose to them the things of the Father and all truth. Not, not reading the verses we, we read earlier, but looking in John 16, verse 7. John 16, 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? That's the verse that sort of establishes the fact that the Holy Spirit in his full capacity and Jesus in his full capacity weren't necessarily working with the apostles at the same time. I know this is really hard for us to understand, and I think it's, that's why he had to explain it this way for them. We're trapped in time. You know, they're not. But from their perspective, Jesus, Jesus is saying, for you, this is a timeline thing. I, gotta, I have to go. And when I'm there and I'm on the throne, I'm going to send the helper to you. Right? So, while the Holy Spirit was working through Jesus, right, and the Holy, and even the apostles and the disciples when they were sent out were, were working miracles in the time of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was inspiring the men who wrote the Old Testament, right, all of that was happening. What Jesus is saying here, there's a special way that I'm going to send him, and it's going to happen when I'm, when I'm there in heaven, when I go to my Father. Okay. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a passage a little bit longer. I'm going to read all of these verses. 1 Corinthians 12. Now we're getting into the part that everybody thinks about when they hear Holy Spirit. Right? Gifts. Miraculous gifts. Not merely gifts, but miraculous gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 4. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So Paul is here saying, we apostles, we don't, we don't decide what gifts we have. We don't decide what gifts you have. We don't decide who receives a gift. Right? What he says here is, the Spirit chooses. The Spirit distributes as he wills. It's totally in his court. Okay, I talked about this already. I sort of blew the surprise. Second Peter chapter one, he inspired scripture. Second Peter chapter one, verses twenty and twenty-one. Peter writes, "But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will." But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. 
Now, there are two things being addressed there by Peter. And again, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but what what he says first is, prophecy of Scripture is a matter, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. He's not talking about inspiration there. He says, you don't have the right to your own interpretation. And he backs it up by saying it's because it wasn't written by men. Right? The reason you don't have the right to your own interpretation of Scripture is because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right? So the reason I like those verses together is what he's saying is if you're going to interpret it, you've got to interpret it the way the Holy Spirit intended it. You, you can't just pick one that makes sense to you. Now, we know that God is not the God of confusion, right? But we also know his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours, right? So it brings a submissiveness into approaching Scripture. Not just he inspired it, but he has the right to interpret it. We don't, right? Okay, that's the, that's the list of facts I wanted to cover. That's all, right? I wanted to show how important the role of the Spirit was Many different roles that the Spirit had, right? And I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna repeat them, right? He is a He, right? He's a person. He can be grieved. He is God. He took part in the conception and the works of Jesus when He came to the earth. After Jesus' ascension, it was the Spirit that Jesus sent to disclose things. He selected and distributed gifts to Christians. He inspired Scripture. These are the things that we know, right, about the Spirit. And like I said, I've, I've really just picked, cherry-picked a few of these things. I think there are many other things we could look at, but these are general enough to give us a sense that the Spirit is very active. The Spirit is real. The Spirit is somebody in our lives. Right? So what about the Holy Spirit in us? Right? You know, as we read earlier, the Holy Spirit distributed gifts as he saw fit. So, you know, if I don't have a miraculous gift, well, then that means he didn't see fit to give me one. It's his prerogative. If if you don't have a, a miraculous gift, he didn't see fit to give you one either. So, is there any relationship with the Holy Spirit then? I mean, is that how narrowly we define... Us and the Holy Spirit. Either we get a gift and we have a relationship, or we don't and we don't. Is that? I mean, that's how the world views the Holy Spirit. I, I I know somebody who was so broken down over the fact that he could not speak in tongues that he had a a personal life crisis about being convinced that he was not saved and knowing he had obeyed. I've done everything I know to do, but I don't speak in tongues, so I'm not saved. Right? Understanding the Holy Spirit is not, as I, as I treat it, an academic thing. I mean, I pursue it like an academic thing. I, you know, I'm interested. I, he, he's, he's, to me, he's confusing. And, and there, he, you know, there are things about his activity that I want to understand better, but it's not an academic thing. We can help people who want to be saved, right? Or we can hinder them, right? Through our lack of understanding the Holy Spirit. And I'll just, I'll just tell you 
right now, one of the ways that we can always hinder people is if we're afraid to say, I don't know. Because if, if you're afraid to say, I don't know, you're going to tell somebody something that's wrong. Eventually. If you, if you just you know, close your mouth and never speak again, well, you won't. <laughs> but if you speak at any point you know, in the future of your life, you're probably going to say something that's wrong. Well, if you don't know something about the Holy Spirit, say, I don't know. Right? I, don't, I don't understand. So I'm, I'm only going to address the gifts here for a couple minutes. I'm not going to go into... This is one of those spurs off the railroad that I'm not going to go down uh, because there's a more important uh, topic I want to hit. Um, can he still give gifts? Absolutely. He's God. I, 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 I would give you a 100% guarantee that he can. <laughs> uh, um, does he still give gifts? I don't believe that he does. From an implicit and an explicit portion of Scripture. Here's the implicit. What I mean by implicit is it's implied, not directly stated. The implicit reasoning for me is the gifts in, in the New Testament seem to confirm revelation that was new information given to man that they didn't have before, right? And those miraculous gifts accompanied that. Uh, so with, with that revelation complete, that aspect right, of works would be also complete. And, and wrapped into that, I don't want to skip over this, wrapped into that what I'm referring to is the support of local congregations, right? Where an apostle comes through and teaches them and then leaves. Well, I mean, there's three years of teaching that apostle had with Jesus that he's not going to accomplish in a week, right? Now, Paul stayed some places one and a half, three years. That was unusual, right? So those gifts, what, what, what I mean by giving new revelation was those churches were receiving information they didn't have any other way. Right? The explicit statement. I believe is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, um, the famous chapter on love, right? The best gift, the more perfect way, right? Which I'll observe is a choice, right? We can choose that. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 through 10 Paul says, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. The question constantly asked of the text is, what is the perfect? Well, I, I, don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm, I'm not taking this seriously, but to me, it's... it's it's just simple. The same answer to the question, what is the perfect, is the, is the answer to the question, what is the partial? The partial is knowledge and prophecy. Well, then the perfect is knowledge and prophecy. Once knowledge and prophecy are complete, the perfect has arrived. It's not something outside the text. It's in the text. Right? And he says, we do this partially and we do this partially. 
But when the perfect comes, those will be done away. Well, there's no reason for me to sit here and prophesy to you something that's in Galatians. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? It's complete. That would be partial. I would be giving you part of the New Testament. And if I give you the entire New Testament, well, then I'm just redundant. If I stand up here and just prophesy to you from Matthew through Revelation, all I've done is made myself redundant. Right? So that's the explicit, I believe. And that's all I'm going to address about gifts in the church today. So if that's still something that you're not satisfied, you, you know, good. Because <laughs> that's a really short and poor explanation, okay? Uh, go, read, go read some more and let me know what you find. Here's what I wanted to spend the time on. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, I, and by saying this, I don't mean that the sermon is just now starting. <clears throat> we're, we're almost done. I'm ending with this because this is what I want you to take home. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes uh, to the Christians there, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, another spur that we're not going to go down today is um, the topic, I would say, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not that it's not useful or necessary, but I'm not going to spend time here trying to explain what Paul means by in you. Right? Because that's not the thrust of why I'm standing up here. It's valid to study it. And these verses are useful in that study. But I want us to think about what it means to be the temple. I mean, I don't have to understand how it happens to know that it's true. You see what I mean? The fact is, I, we, Christians, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Um, well, for one thing, the temple of the Holy Spirit would reflect the glory of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, think about temples and kings and... And, and, and even think about temples in, in, in pagan times, right? They weren't run down and they weren't a mishmash of different structures. And they were designed to present one statement about the person or the God that was inside. Right? Well, we're supposed to be that temple. Look in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at 
This is one of my favorite verses. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm picking this out of a statement because to try to find the full statement of Paul is sometimes really hard, right? So just this one verse, Ephesians 3.10, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what I get out of that verse is when God wanted to show his wisdom, when he wanted, when he was going to choose some method of demonstrating his wisdom, not to people, what does it say? To rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He said, I'm going to do that with the church. If you want to know how wise I am, look at the church. That's being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Something God can point to and say, look what I built. Right? Second Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. It's amazing how much Paul talked to the Corinthians about the temple. Chapter 6, verse 16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Well, okay. So wouldn't you think... If somebody wants to get closer to God or to knock on his front door, wouldn't you expect them to be able to walk up to the temple and do that? Can people do that with you? In... I don't mean that you can answer all the questions. I mean, can people walk up to you, knock on the door, and say, I want to know something about God. I want to meet Him. Right? I'll give you a hint. If you own a Bible, you're, you're 99% of the way there. <laughs> right? You sit down with them and you open the Bible. And you say, yes, I can introduce you. Right. You know, at, at the risk of mixing metaphors, right? And this is a very mixed metaphor, so it's it's ugly. Okay. Uh, you know, the temple of the Holy Spirit itself would actually bear fruit that pleases the Holy Spirit, right? So, I, you know, I was thinking like maybe there's a garden, a front yard, or something. You know, but the way it's really described is the temple itself is alive. You know, and it is bearing fruit. Like, you know, he's working in the yard, so to speak. And the fruit that's born is his fruit. It's what he wanted. It's what he planted, right? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look in Galatians chapter 5 and see what that fruit is. Right? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit... Singular, I think, not plural, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Now, when I read things like this, when I read about the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I, I can't help but go back to when Jesus was telling the apostles, I'm the vine, right? And you're the branches, right? Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit, right? So, I, you know, I don't know if these two things are supposed to be put together. This is the engineer brain at work, right? Jesus is that vine and we're the branch, but the fruit is described as the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So the way I think about it, right, is Jesus, right, through his sacrifice, through forgiveness, gives us access to what God wants to do with us, right? He's the veil, right, that allowed us to go through. He's, he's the vine that's bringing all the good stuff, right, that we were designed to have and delivering it to us. As long as we're in him, the Holy Spirit can bear fruit, right? So, I mean, if the Holy Spirit, you know, comes home from work, right, to the temple, and he looks at the temple, are you that stone that's bearing fruit? This fruit. Right? Love, patience, kindness, goodness. Because you're his temple. Going going back to that picture about the vine, you know, outside of Jesus, the picture that's thrust in our face, you know, if if we are outside of Jesus, what we're forced to see is who who God is and who we really are. Right? We're sinners in rebellion. And that's the only picture we're, we're that's available to us if we're outside of Christ. And inside him, right? The picture that's thrust in our face constantly is who God is, right? And the goal he has for us. It's not who we are or who we were, right? He's not constantly saying, you know, you're a really bad person. I remember when you did this. I think you should dwell on this a little more, you know? Instead, what he's constantly saying is think more about the Spirit. That's what the Spirit offers us. Outside of Christ, He offers us conviction. Right? He's going to pierce our heart over and over and over until it becomes calloused. Inside of Christ, He's working with us so that we'll produce fruit. His fruit. Okay, the final image I want to present in, in this is that He is a seal. He's, just, he's talked about as a seal. And the English word that we have for that is a very good translation of the Greek word. It's used in, a lot, in those different ways. It's, it carries the idea of marking, right? Something marked with a seal, like a king's signet ring or whatever, seal. Um, showing ownership or special status. It carries the idea of protection, right? The Greek word carries all those, those ideas. So let's look at, at just three, three verses and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. I turn it over to Ephesians chapter 1. This is in the midst of the in him statements. In him, in him, in him, right? Ephesians 1, verse 13 
In Him, that is Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. And finally, a verse that we already mentioned in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And there seems to be two ideas Paul's trying to get across here. In, in his mind, they're, they're, they're closely related. It's, it's, it's hard for me to see sometimes, but the Holy Spirit is a seal upon us, but also a down payment, right? This pledge, this word that's used for pledge is down payment on our eternal life. So for me, like I said, this is, this is like my primary exercise of faith when it comes to the Holy Spirit is understanding how this works. Trusting that I'm sealed and believing that I have a down payment right now. The only way I can think about that at this, at this point is that He's removed a bit of my pride, right? And given me a bit of compassion, right? I didn't have before. As kind of a foretaste of heaven, where I will have no pride. I won't even be tempted to pride. I will have perfect compassion or love. And I will experience that perfect love. I've learned a fraction of what that love means, right? To exercise it and also to receive it. Just a, a little bit, right? But it's real because it's from Him. It's a down payment, right? And that's his fruit. You know, I'm, I'm ever so sl- slightly more patient because of him, right? It's like I've got a down payment. All these things are adding up to be perfected. So in conclusion, here's, here's what I would say. I think we should approach the Holy Spirit with humility, At, he's, he's, he's God, right? Just as we would imagine walking into the throne room of the Father or the Son, right? Admit, right, there are many things that we don't know about Him and that we're not in His place. And He makes decisions that He's not accountable to us for, right? He's God. The other thing I would encourage you is be that temple. However it, it works, right? You are the temple. Be the temple. Right? Show his fruit in such a pronounced way that people stop and gawk like they do in Hollywood. Like, oh, who lives there? Right? You should be so odd compared to this world that people are like, why do you keep giving your stuff away? Or why, how are you so patient with that person right there? Like, I honestly don't understand what's going on with you. That's who we were supposed to be, right? Trust in His fruit against which there is no law. And think of it as God condescending to give you a down payment. Right? And I, I do think of it as He's condescending to do that. Like, why he would say, oh, I need to give them a down payment on eternal life, right? It blows my mind. 
but that's how he described it. That's what he's done. So that's my lesson, short lesson, long short lesson on the Holy Spirit. Um, I hope there are some questions for you to go pursue after this. But if there's something that you need to pursue now, um, this is the time to let someone around you know. Let me know. Let Josh know. Let Robin know. Um, either Josh know. Let, let someone here know. Um, if you need to make changes in your life that are of a spiritual nature. Um, Josh is going to sing a song. The purpose of that song is to give you some time to think that over and, and take action if you need to. Let's stand as we sing.